Brain Fuzz, the art, music and culture podcast with Joe Camusa and Matthew White. In this episode, Joe and Matthew enjoy a working lunch and catch up after the winter break. A studio move and Paris art travels kick off the discussion. Books and graphic novels are considered. Movie recommendations are made and an audio pick of the day is offered. Samba plays in the background as film crew members saunter by. This is episode 45. A working lunch. A, a working, working lunch. lunch. Not a boozy lunch. Not at all. And, uh, Joe, you've had some, you've had some adjustments uh, over the holidays and during the winter break to your working environment. Lots of moving and repurposing. There's some good with it. The drawing studio is is solid and up up to full speed. Painting is a little challenged in a uh, Pollock-like barn structure where there's some daylight. But uh, keeps you keeps you honest. You had a studio move. Yep, studio move. Or you you still have a lot in storage no on storage. site. Oh, it's yeah, yeah. But I've had to unpack. <laughs> well, think about it. you know, like to yeah. to do any work, you start to realize. I mean, luckily I labeled everything pretty meticulously, but um, you know, you get I, you. I've realized how spoiled one becomes after you know having a, a set environment. And you're constantly, you know, reworking it to suit your needs. And it's like when you suddenly just box that up, you can't... Even if I moved into a finished space, it still would take me, I'll bet you, a year before it's. you feel like you're... I mean, you know where stuff is, but you know what I mean? Until it's, yeah. you kind of make it your own again. Well, there's the physical aspect of moving stuff, but then there's the mental and emotional aspect the of and settling. Settling, and yeah. So it's definitely a, a time of, uh, of upheaval... But you know, I'll tell you, it's it's been great though in terms of uh, in terms of changing your working methods. Uh, nothing like being, you know, up and at like the drawing table, you know, seven something in the morning or or at midnight. Which I, those extremes weren't as uh, that wasn't a frequent occurrence in the old studio. It was more of a big block of time That's during right. the day. So now it's like I can I, I'm finding there's more extra time to to work. So it actually changes your workflow as well, totally, not just totally. the, not just the physical. Yeah. So anyway, just into that. Yeah. But you know, it seems like a lot of folks are always looking for it's artists. Everyone's looking for studio space, or waiting for their building to get condemned or. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're sitting and I was looking around. It's like all these signs. A lot of building around us. A lot of these would look like they could be great artist spaces, but. We we are actually this would be. Ground Zero gentrification. Sure, that's in right behind us. The city of Atlanta. Yep, and actually, yes, in the shadow of Mercedes-Benz Stadium, actually. It's a bunch of uh, film crews. Along with gentrification, we also have Ground Zero for filming in Atlanta as well. Here, I like his uh, hat. Did you see? Yeah, nice, nice touch. (laughs) But I wanted to zero in on a couple of destinations specifically that, and I wanted to share these with you because I think that there are a lot of things that. A lot of things that we learn from the French museums and galleries can learn from, of course, top tier museums, and you see, so you can't compare, you know, so many of, of the um, places you frequent with those. Sure, but 
there were a couple of notes that I made here. First of all, I want to thank my new friend Sylvie. Sylvie uh, was actually helpful in getting us around to... Uh, that's Sylvie with uh, Slash Paris. This is contemporary art. Ah, okay. um, the Instagram's great. My new friend Sylvie helped us around uh, to navigate all these different spaces, which is not like in any other city, really, and that you can kind of jump in. There's really some navigation. There are little alleyways and oh, that you okay. need to know. You can't. It's it's not easy to just to just jump right in. So we did that, and that of course added a whole other level to the to our uh, to the trip. But one of the biggest surprises was the Palais de Tokyo. I saw a great show there. It was reviewed extremely well, but I don't really want to talk about that. I want to talk about these going along with some of the stuff that we've done in the past with, I guess, institutional critique that oh, we've touched on. Okay. First of all, this place was open until midnight. The hours made more sense with the flow. So often you see galleries, museums closed at 5, 6 o'clock. Right. This place, 12, 12 a.m. Wow. Yeah. Just an amazing um, facility and wonderful restaurant. Cafe, um, the bookshop, Joe, you would have. The flow in this space was really something. I actually picked up one of the, picked up the catalog from the show that I saw. And I wanted you to see this, Joe. Look at the format of this. Yeah, perfect bound. Yeah, that's gorgeous. So a lot of times when you go to a show, you have to pick up, or you want to pick up the catalog and can't afford it. In this case... It was packaged so nicely and affordably. But what you're what what you're looking? How would you describe this, Joe? What is this? This is oh, it's really nice paper stock. It's perfect bound. It's uh, slightly oversized. You know, certainly something you can keep. And yet, a magazine type format that good reproduction. Yeah, black and white and color. I mean, I'm fascinated by it. Yeah, very few ads, which is. Really telling. Well, it was it was just a great experience all the way around. I don't even want to get into the um, exhibition itself, which was which was great. <laughs> but at the whole point. But um, no, it it, it kind of changed the way you can go there and just appreciate the experience, mm-hmm. and that's enough. Which uh, of course, uh, um, with Pompidou is the same way with Pompidou as well. You could spend much time as you want there, and. Maybe see the art or not, but it, it, I was I was taken by just how much these places are destinations, and you want to go there. Whether it's just you know to have coffee, have lunch, mm-hmm. shop in the bookshop. I mean, the, the bookshops alone were enough. That that alone was a destination. The hours again. How many times have you been somewhere and the place is closed? It's or maybe they said it's open, and you know. Oh yeah. This took it out of it because it, it, it can become a social destination with hours until midnight. Mm-hmm. It makes it. What, a, what day were you there? Was this like I want to say that was like a Friday night. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that makes more sense. Yeah. If it was like a Tuesday, I'd think, wow, that's even crazier. You know what? Let's look. I want to look. Because I think this is an example of, of something really done well. How many times have you been in New York and you've got a five o'clock? clothes and oh yeah you know what i'm saying i used to just keep a little cheat sheet of you know back in the days when 
a lot of the uh, museums had different days that they were closed. You know, like I know Whitney was closed, whatever Monday or Tuesday, and you I can't don't keep track of it, right? But if you don't do your homework on the front end, you yeah, you may have walked a long way or twelve to twelve. Wow, twelve to twelve. Now, doesn't that make more sense? To you for the for the consumer, sure. I mean, but getting back to staff and budget, yeah, I'm not going to work. Yeah, uh, it was uh, also, um, as I said, many great gallery stops. Mm-hmm. But I want to mention this, and sh- and I brought this because I just I had you in mind when I actually purchased this. So the artist Lucia Laguna, Gallery Karsten Grev. Yeah. So this work. And we'll link to it on show notes at brainfuzzpodcast.com. But this work looks good in the book. It is breathtaking in person. Scale, color. Right. Yeah, it looks great. I had the sense of looking at this and not being able to put it in any kind of category, really. Oh, well, that's good. I mean, you can see also just orientation. And yeah. You can turn this so many different ways. That actually sounds like a successful... Uh viewing experience you know instead of trying to find the the taxonomy I, yeah. I would trade places like my I'm trying to shut that off in my brain in terms yeah. of going oh there's abstraction with representation yeah. and like who who cares do you, you know where yeah. does this thing take you and a little something for everybody in this wouldn't you say yeah you know good different pain application I'm very I'm jealous I mean in terms of that experience you know to see something Yeah, I mean the color. This, the color palette obviously is just—it's different. That's not like you know, like New York kind of light. That is, right? Yeah, uh, and it, it reminds me in a good way of some you know other painters in other parts of the world, and uh, that's great when you can get in the flesh beyond. Yeah, you know, looking at it on Instagram. But yeah, I don't know. I like it. I would. I would think that this would. You know, there's some installation shots in here. I could see how that is probably a. A breath of fresh air to walk in and just take in, and these are pretty large. It looks like some of them, anyway. Oh, the, yeah. I'm not, I'm yeah, not no, look at my, these uh, on your centimeters. But 140 by like 180 centimeters sounds like a lot of centimeters. It's pretty big, yeah. Yeah. No, these were the, and well, the, and and they were different scales, but then while Joe and Matthew um, revel in the beauty of this art. monograph, oh, yeah, you can see right here. be sure to visit um, brainfuzzpodcast.com for show notes and links to resources like this so one, and always be taking something else from them. It's nice though. There are a lot of um, a lot of entry points into this work, you know, yeah. in, in sometimes dead center, even, yeah. It's really exciting to hear people describe uh, paintings. Well, it's you kind of like braille yeah. painting, but yeah. Uh, well, I think we're just oohing and on. Not there's only some, there's some nice uh, over the Basquiat like yeah imagery. That's and, right, and then color field and drips and yeah, very. Yeah, that's a good find. Again, Lucia Laguna, Gallery Carson Grav. Just a just a highlight. Just one of the many highlights on this uh, on this visit. We were there, of course, for the Yellow Vest protests yeah. as well. <laughs> and uh, we had just left one of many of our museum stops. And we knew we could see the plumes of smoke on the horizon because we knew the protests were happening. It just started, though, correct? They, was this was the second weekend. Oh, second, okay. And, and so it was intensifying. And, uh, you know, midday, we're, we're seeing the plumes of smoke on the horizon. And we decided to move from this 
museum and just kind of keep an eye on it. And then, uh, and then, so we're like, okay, well, let's stop here. We'll figure out what we're going to do at the cafe, right? We're having we're having a nice little meal and some drinks, and we see one of the yellow a, a, a couple yellow vesters, uh, older couple, and they and they uh, are walking by, and you can tell that they're they're done protesting for the day, but they decided to sit down in the cafe as well. <laughs> keep their uh, you keep, keep the vest their vests on? on. They kept the vests on. They had a meal, uh, and there was just this sense of you know all of this is happening. But let's stop. For right now, and it was so different than the American response to something like that happening on the horizon. Of course, they, these guys have so much more experience with this kind of event than we do. And I, and I mentioned this to a friend. I said, you know, this is what happened. And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was there uh, once, and um, there was a, some sort of police activity in a building adjacent to our cafe. We saw we saw guys rappelling down the side of the building and then breaking through <laughs> the outside windows to raid this and then the, and then smoke. I guess they asked the waiter. They said, "Should we leave?" And he goes, "You haven't finished dessert." That's just a different. That's just a different mindset. Oh yeah, yeah. And I don't know if it's that. I don't know if it's that uh, environment that enables you to have twelve to twelve museum hours, <laughs> or if or I don't know what comes first. I, I can't answer. That's that's obviously the need for for travel opens your eyes. Yeah. Uh, if you have thoughts on that and you're listening, please share them. We'd love to hear from you. You've got a stack of stuff here. I do, but some of it we've touched on, and I don't know if you've uh, ever been into. I don't know how to say his name, but it's it's, a, it's amazing German filmmaker Florian Henkel von Donnersmark. No. So he did a movie called uh, The Lives of Others, which I totally missed when it was in the theaters. It's in the, in German subtitled, but about the Stasi. You know, even just watching that on a laptop which just blew my mind. I think that came out in, like, maybe 2006. So, I mean, like, I totally missed it. Totally missed it. Yeah. So, and the reason I dove that far back was because there's a new movie that just came out that I did see in the theater called Never Look Away which is the hype surrounding it is that it's loosely based on Gerhard Richter. So the filmmaker reached out, like sent him a note, a request for an interview, because Richter doesn't do a whole lot of yeah. interviews. And I think, what is he, 87 now? I think he's 87. Wow. I mean, but of course now he's totally disavowed the film and said that the director's just, you it's, know. Really? But, uh, so who knows, you know, where, yeah. what's true and what's not, but... Uh, but it's interesting. But it was a three hours and nine minute movie, you know. So to go to a theater, like for me, that's that's your talk about a captive audience. Yeah. But uh, so I prepared, it's in the right frame of mind. Uh, but it's just beautifully filmed, and you know what a, what a treat to be, you know, taken out of your normal environment. Uh, I forget what how what a gift a real movie can be, you know, in a theater yeah. with other people. A lot different than watching something on a laptop or TV or YouTube with all the, the breaks and you're checking your phone or you're like just sitting and engaging with something. Never looking away. Did you all the while. Did you do did you do the uh, Van Gogh movie too? You did, did didn't you? Yeah, I saw that. Willem Dafoe was amazing. Yeah, yeah it's it there are some moments that are very um, disconcerting and or purposely like discombobulating yeah the like the camera work at times and I saw it with a filmmaker friend of mine who I think was bristling at you know like yeah. the camera should be steady and 
but perhaps you were they were trying to show the state of the mind of 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 Vincent. But yeah, Willem Dafoe was was so believable, and um, even if you just took the sound off, just visually watching that so the scenery and yeah. cinematography was fantastic. Uh, so that's Schnabel, right? That was Schnabel. It was good. Um, you know, not one of those uplifting uh, necessarily kind of movies. You know, we were joking before, you know, going into Never Look Away, but you know, it's like I don't think this is going to be a beer movie. Like to grab no. a beer before, mm-hmm. let alone on the time. But yeah. it's like like Schindler's List. You're not going to sit down and like crack a bottle of something. Yeah. You know, you're just like, no, I think I'll just take this in. Yeah, because um, there were some really intense moments. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I definitely came out of that as did my friend Greg, and uh, you know, kind of having a good espresso after that film just sitting there like I was amazed at how affected we both were and really yeah in how affected how like one of those where you're you're talking about it and you're trying to put the pieces together and you're just oh, saying okay. like you but like in terms of just that film there was an uh, an emotional impact yeah that uh, doesn't happen all that often for me so I was just like this is amazing there was one that I don't know if I've mentioned to you the square did we talk about that Refresh my memory. Well, it takes some crazy, crazy turns, but it's a nice. It's it's a it's an interesting look at. I, I guess, on some level, the performance art. Okay. And a critique of the art world, and then you have um, all kinds of other themes. I don't want to ruin it for you. When you see it you, at the end of it, it's one of those when current. you're affected. Yeah, I think 2017, I believe. What was the other thing I've been binging on? Um, Chris Ware, the artist. It's so funny. I heard I saw an Instagram post of yours. Yeah, about Chris Ware. Now, what made you discover or rediscover? I've been following him for a while because um, he talks a lot. Whether you know, there, there seem to be words that are verboten. Whether you say like cartoon, yeah, comic right. illustration. So he gets into a lot of that stuff, but. Um, he's he's had you know New Yorker covers. He's certainly his. I think I probably was first exposed to his building stories in the New Yorker, a, ser- a cartoon series. Um, so yeah, I picked up like the monograph, and which is just amazing. This giant box that's full. Like, probably like I'd say there's at least fifteen to twenty different formats of zines slash you know uh, beautifully printed. But and then again, the, the content. Um, and a couple other younger uh, graphic novelists, but um, I think it also it funnels into my uh, current fascination with drawing, and just again seeing you know how far people are pushing that medium. You can appreciate it on so many different levels. Daniel Klaus, the reason I'm pulling in Daniel Klaus is they sit on a, in a stack at my house, and Daniel Klaus did um, a Ghost World, and Ghost World. The movie that resulted from the comic with uh, Thor Burch, Scarlett Johansson, um, Steve Buscemi. You would love this. It, I'm writing it's it down. A, I'm telling you, it is, it is one of those rare situations where you can enjoy the movie and the book equally. I just always love when I dip into some pool that I was not aware of, but there's another um, artist... And uh, let's see. Oh, Dernasso. Nick Dernasso, I guess, has published a new book that is just blown up called Sabrina. It's funny that you've gone. I, 
you've said before that you missed out on what did you say? Missed out on comic books. Missed out on graphic was, novels. The did graphic you? novels yeah. thing definitely. Comics um, were all around me as a kid. My I, one of my uncles was fanatical. Yeah, comic collector. But yeah. I mean, like the Marvel and DC and all in the plastic bags and in boxes and yeah, I mean, just like. Um, and it just was it was too much work. I loved to yeah. walk down to the uh, the cigar shop by the subway with them. You know, it was a good excuse. Um, and, you know, obviously back when magazine shops, you know, there was tons of stuff to look at and yeah. newspapers and right. all that and gum and God knows what. But um, so I think, you know, at an early age, it just seems so overwhelming. Where the hell do you start? Yeah. You know, so records was probably a little more appealing if you're going to, you know, hunt for things and yeah. covet I would not have heard of this individual, but for Instagram and and it's always that perfect storm of it's like in two or three places. So it's like yeah. oh, I see it on Instagram, I see it in the New Yorker, and it's like then you know you're going to see it like in the New York Times or wherever else. But I still think like wow, it's hard enough to draw and tell a story or paint, yeah. Let alone to then fuse and for the same person to fuse like what a skill set to be able to tell a story visually and verbally. I'm like in awe. Yeah. I don't I don't possess those. Um you know, you think about uh I wonder how many movies are still like storyboard or T V shows. Are they really yeah. storyboarded or how do, I mean that, that kind of mind is yeah. just like wow, pay attention to detail and, mm-hmm. uh, but just you know, some of these artists, like I said, like like Chris Ware, like man, that guy just his devotion to that craft and um you know, it seems like even in his undergrad, you know, there was this continual, like, well, you know, that's not really art, and just being um, written off by your peers or by instructors. I mean, most people, I think, would just give up. And he kept at it. And it's nice to see, and he's still able to do that. And I think it sounds like he's probably one of the few, aside from, like, the next echelon of, like, the art crumbs and mm-hmm. that world. Mm-hmm. Do you know, uh, you know Mark Ryden? I don't. Okay, um... This is it's an interesting kind of space because I think about these illustrator artists. Here he's referred to as a graphic novelist. Graphic, okay. So I think of graphic novelists, but then there's this weird kind of space when I think about artists like uh, Mark Ryden, and then you know High Fructose Magazine. Right. And I recently saw. I think I talked about this in an episode. uh, Maybe it was last year, two years ago. There was a high fructose show, and they got in a lot of trouble with it. I don't know if you remember that. And it was actually over Mark Ryden's work. I think the Catholic Church got really irritated with something that Mark Ryden did. And he plays with different images and often and often could be construed as sacrilegious. Or, oh, gotcha. Um, but that's an interesting space between, you know, how you get from, you know, uh, in a museum, when you're showing work that could be considered illustration, but then it's not, you know, in, in the case of High Fructose, that's an art magazine, and it's, uh, and I don't want to get into that whole, isn't I don't want to get into that whole thing. Isn't it amazing that it's impossible not to? It's impossible not to, but but I also, maybe perhaps more interesting would be, how is it possible for the blurred lines now to to occur? And I and I think it's probably with technology, don't you think? I mean, so much more is possible in illustration. It'll become apparent perhaps when, in future episodes that are being edited now, of yeah. Buzz, 
uh, you know, this, this has been on the table quite a bit. The you know the art slash craft uh, ongoing debate. My clearest vision on it, it's still a matter of positioning. Yeah, and it's the power of the the artist or the the person. Somebody has to determine whether it is art and then push it and not take no yeah. for an answer. I mean, Philip Guston was charged with you know possibly the treasonous act of abandoning you know abstract expressionism for you know for quote illustration or cartoony and look how ahead of the curve he he was the takeaway for me is that you know what it doesn't matter if you enjoy it enjoy it and enjoy it on whatever level you want to enjoy it sure let's talk about it i think that's the most important thing there shouldn't really be any of this um I think you probably get some of the separation in the academic environment where you have the, uh, speaking in terms of drawing class, uh, are they using graphite or are they using, uh, you know, a digital pen? You know, I think it's impossible in, in this world or our art world kind of tra- travels to uh, somebody's always thinking somebody has a purer vision or, you know, it's either... You know whether it's painters thinking that's it, or sculptures, installations, the only way to go, or mm-hmm. you know someone's always looking down at somebody else. And it, again, it, to me, it always still comes back down to positioning. And we mentioned that movie before, and I say it because I'm thinking of Gerhard Richter, and it's like I keep looking at a lot of these artists that have been extremely successful, and the work certainly is magnificent. Perhaps might not be one's cup of tea. One thing that stands out in artists that have like made it to that superstar level is the way they talk about their work or that they don't talk about their work. That's like true. It, yeah. Again, it gets back to that power of how is it communicated? Are they telling you all it's about and all the inspirations or not? And sometimes I think the ones that keep the tight lip or continue to change the... That's true. You know, I mean, Bob Dylan, mm-hmm. very, I mean, in that kind of elusive, it, there's something to be said for that. Versus, like, we're at an age right now where I think there's almost too much, you know, what I ate for breakfast and what I listened to and everything that went into making. And it's like, do you, do you need that? Is that really essential? We've had some, we've got Brain Fuzz alums that are uh, particularly good at this. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking just enough and maybe some not talking at all on, on, on something. Well, and then one that, you know, you had, um, I wish I would have had the privilege of seeing that show in new york but paul stephen benjamin yep comes to mind in terms of um being on very solid ground with what he's doing why he's doing it what he how he wants an audience to experience it probably one in my opinion still one of the one of the he like he's really got together and i was thrilled uh like wow what an accomplishment and you know a solo show in new york in a gallery of that level like, yeah Congratulations, man, he's earned it. In another episode, we talked uh, about the Bruce Nauman retrospective. And Bruce Nauman as an artist, and he's another one. When he... Uh, we actually happen to have... That's in the stack. In the stack here, that's the... Uh, gonna be, ah, that's the... Okay. In retrospect, yeah. You've mentioned that this particular uh, review discusses the East Coast versus West Coast... Uh, yeah, it's you know, that same thing yeah. of you know, are you are you, yeah. are you part of the club? Yeah, yeah, or yeah. But yeah, but just again, being some kind of other. Oh, it's not not New York, so you know. Yeah. And I I know I've said that. Uh, 
in many a discussion, but it still astounds me. Well, and if you're, fam- you know, if you're familiar with, with uh, Nauman's work, there are some um, pieces that come to mind specifically uh, where it's informed by his ranch lifestyle uh, and also the neighbors. You know, the, in, in a ranch community, you call it a ranch community in a, in a, in a, ra- in a ranch area. Out on the plain. Uh, when you when on you live on a ranch and you have neighbors, they have very specific skill sets, and it's that it, it it's interesting to see how much of the work. This was the first time that I had seen um, specifically. Um, so you, of course you would know when you have some of the uh, taxidermy works, and but. Um, I saw some other works that specifically pulled in it's just I guess the the knife skills of a neighbor <laughs> and you think about the conversations that occur in that kind of environment versus the conversations that would occur from studio to studio if you were in Brooklyn right well you know isn't it about you know inspiration and, and feeding and getting outside of the same if you're always looking at the same stuff yeah I'm saying this as much for myself as I did I did see a documentary on um, Joe Cocker of all people that Woodstock performance but I mean anyway so fast forward to years later he's living out he's married he's living in like Colorado and it's the same thing they like they're talking the voiceover is talking about how like got to know the neighbors and they'd hang out and you're thinking like how the hell who the hell hangs out with like Joe Cocker coming off the road and just you know and then that persona but they're still people and you know but those conversations um so as artists, yeah, I think I think that's what makes most interesting work. And, Probably in, in the case of Nauman or other other hobbies or other, you know, instead of it just all being, if you're totally just, you know, yeah, na- navel gazing, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think though most of the people that I consider successful seem to have a uh, one prevailing trait seems to be a fairly social skill set and being well connected or but a, a diverse you know pool of friends and interests and but that's a that's a isn't that a recipe for a smart successful person period, I think though? so you know, yeah in terms of <laughs> yeah I'd say so I'd say so and now the brain fuzz audio pick of the day you build, build oh, some time ago you picked Courtney Barnett as a and the audio pick was just Courtney Barnett in her oh. entirety. Yeah. Not a specific. But when I look at what I'm listening to and what's sitting at the uh next to the next to the uh, turntable, I had to do I had to do some serious thinking about this. It's difficult to get a kinks strategy yeah. together because for so long I'm going to dig into this a little bit more here. I, are you saying that you're picking the entire case no. oeuvre? No, I'm not. Okay. No, and I no. agree with well, you. Well, you're but. going to take umbrage. With, I think you're going to have a... I, think you're, I don't know how you're going to feel about this. But I'm going to... But you think you do. I, I'm I going to select... Gonna problem, but. I think you're going to have a problem. I'm going to select a certain section of the King's Catalog. I'm okay Because it's, it's... I enjoy it. But it's also interesting to me from a creative standpoint, and, and let's 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 unpack this. Okay, first of all, I don't know if you're familiar with the story, listeners. I know you are, Joe, with the Kinks and the 
the conspiracy theory around the kinks maybe being shut out of the American market. So with the British invasion, there are a couple of suspects, one in particular. It is said that they did some did some stuff behind the scenes. They were banned from the US. So they could not at the height of their popularity in the 60s, but I thought it was due to an altercation with a physical altercation like with a journalist. That started it. I have I have read that it was that well there may have been real reasons, um, yeah. but that there was definitely some some uh, work done behind the scenes to actively keep them out of the market. All right, hang on. Okay, it was a, the Federation of Music of the Trade Union. The ban lasted from '65 to '69. That is tremendously long. All right, say that again. All right, nobody knows for sure, but the best answer. What is this source here? Is this is this some like wiki of some sort? Yeah, something like that. But apparently it was a, a union-type thing. I'm telling you, there was apparently there was violence. So there was violence involved. But then they there say was... a fight between in May of 1965 between Dave Davies and drummer Mick Avery left Davies in the hospitals and landed Avery in jail. They fought with promoters, blah, blah, blah. There um, was subterfuge, though. You can't tell me that oh, five-year sure. ban. But they also, yeah. you know, I think... The kinks, even amongst themselves, were physically abusive and, <laughs> and just. I mean, I love the kinks, but wow, like trying to get along with them. But I mean, that that band. I mean, now that doesn't mean their music couldn't be played, but I think they would have been. It took them longer, I think. Yeah. And they outlasted when all those bands broke up. I mean, I think some of the stuff that they recorded in the seventies is their strongest. Which leads me kinks. to. Da-da. The period of most interest to me for the Kinks is 1977 to 1984. Beginning, really beginning with the Sleepwalker yeah. album. Yeah. Misfits came next. Low budget, Low budget in 1979. I am not so much at the time of recording a fan of Sleepwalker and Misfits as I am some of those later records. But each one of those has like a key. It yes either one or two songs that again if you take the singles approach you'll, you'll yeah. most people are like oh yeah I yeah. love that song so 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 just to run through these you've got low budget in 1979 um there's a live record in there which is i know, like that record do you really yeah one for the road yeah yeah one for the road released in 1980 it is a good it is it is it is a good listen uh give the people what they want which in 1981 a fantastic record fantastic record you can always find it for like six ninety nine in any deal. vinyl shop. It's so good. Uh, 1983, State of Confusion. I like that one too. And then for me, uh, 1984's Word of Mouth is where, that's where, to me, this encapsulates a period where I believe Ray Davis had, he had really honed his, his songwriting skills into this, I'm going to write these tight songs and we're going to produce, put these songs on record. But they're also going to serve a purpose this is arena rock, and if you think about hair bands and everything, my, I would argue that all of that is a result, largely, of the arena rock that was made possible with, with the Kinks, in in during this period. Hmm. Is that is that? Uh, do you think I could defend that? I think you could defend it. I mean, you also think about what against all the synth bands yeah. and that you know second or third, whatever you want to call it, British yeah. British invasion or reinvasion. Um, you know, I mean, they have keyboards in the band, but it's still a you know yeah. guitar-driven. Yeah. Uh, but 
So in in the case of uh, let's just let's pick one of these low budget. Okay, low budget is is an interesting record for a number of reasons. First of all, some could some could accuse Ray of pandering. Pandering, pandering is the, exactly the word. He's talking in 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 low budget. They were not only dealing with a low record budget <laughs> to record a low a low budget to record this record. They were also speaking directly to the American uh, what was happening with the uh, oil crisis and uh, economic concerns in America. But for the Kings, because they had been done to deny for so long, the um, America was the promised land. Sure. Let me just, let's run through these. Okay, they had a hit with I Wish I Could Fly Like Superman, which capitalized on the disco craze. Mm -hmm. You had Low Budget, which spoke specifically to... The Malays of the... The Malays. Late 1970s. The song A Gallon of Gas. Catch Me Now I'm Falling. Mm -hmm. Captain America, right? Is that the one with Captain America? Yeah. Yeah. And what he specifically does is he's, 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 he's appealing to his audience, which is... America and, and, and finally conquering America in a way that they were unable to do in right. the 60s. But what I love about this is the songwriting is so tight, you may not like all of the sounds necessarily or the production during that period, but I, I, what I love most about that, that group of records, is he defined an audience, it was very marketable, and yet some of their best music, they had a huge hit with Come Dancing, during that period but then there are these other songs like uh, Living on a Thin Line mm -hmm. you know that one from Word of Mouth was later featured in The Sopranos oh there's so much and that's also on the, that same record with uh, Do It Again I remember the first time I heard that I remember thinking like wait a minute because it's, it's, it's Hard Day's Night that opening yeah. playing but it's not like to be able to that's true and there's an ode to that nostalgic back look without it being but, you know, he's not the first to have like that love affair with the with the states, and yeah. you know the Stones, Keith in particular, like with the the whole Western cowboy myth. That's right. And then yeah. uh, all the way to you two with the Joshua Tree. Remember that's that true. they were very upfront that's about true. like this is like literally like a, our love that's affair true. with the U.S. And here, you know, as documented in Rattle and Hum, yeah, played every single day on cable. Yeah, <laughs> always yeah. on. But I mean, you know, think about it. They they were, you know, had a hit or a few hits, but you really got me, you know, before the Who mm -hmm. did anything. The Kings are ascendant. So and it's like they've been around for so long, and then, like you said, being banned here certainly yeah. hurt them. But and then to hear, you know, Van Halen, I guess that was '78 with a cover of "You Really Got Me," and it's an amazing cover. That's right. I love the yeah. King song, but wow, I mean, to, yeah put that much power behind it you know you think, and that's not something that happens that much anymore like i mean if some people right. still will cover songs yeah. but to, to have your first hit a cover of all those bands all those british bands were started with doing covers that's you know, true very few people were writing their own material yeah that's true but uh so i think they, so the kinks are like they they kind of invented the playbook yeah. along you know with the beatles and and the stones, and but is is always the case. They don't. We don't think they get the credit. No, they don't. I mean, I think, and Ray, and it's probably again going back to you know, Ray is very irascible, yes. difficult, whatever yeah. word you want to use. But 
I don't know. I think it's it is talk about like vindication, but the fact that Kink's songs feature so prominently in Wes Anderson films, which on one hand probably that's true. Then people yeah. are like, yeah, it's because of hipsters, but uh, but there's such a deep catalog there. There's so many. I mean, I, I love the Beatles. I love the Stones. I think I love the Kinks more than long term. They may he's a better songwriter, and then the, I mean, the Stones I, have I a different know. thing. Stones, Stones is feel for me, and it's a certain period. Yeah, but the Kinks, like pound for pound, you're like, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a lot of what we're talking about here. Actually, if you if you look at um, Ray Davis' book uh, Americana in 2013 uh talks about a lot of what we're what we're uh, discussing here one of the, you know one of the things going back to that uh, give the people what they want you know one of the criticisms is that he was doing exactly that giving the people what they want it, it, the music was good but it, but it was also highly marketable and highly marketable for a reason and but that a, sounded like the time i mean that that's one again i bought that when that came out you know yeah. um, and i'm thinking like what was what was popular and you're talking about a time of like you know the knack had exploded that record had come out like seven, nine, yeah. eighty. but think about that power pop kind of sound yeah. uh-huh. joe jackson and done yeah. i'm the man you've got the clash uh and to hear uh around the dial you know a song about the decline of of rock radio which is that's when it was starting i mean there still were like the morning djs and you one yep. would listen to you know the the radio no again no, that's right a very it, timely social uh, you got yet, social commentary common, political right. uh, highly marketable and, and then to get to you know there's I mean better things is on there yeah. add it up yeah uh, it's good stuff yo yo yes I mean that, that record just emotionally it's I mean it's when I think of England it's like it's very it's moody mm-hmm. there's some there's a lot of a lot of gray I I think I I put that on when I go home today. But what a, I mean, just creative. Uh, I can't that genius word. That's tough. No, yeah, but he's he's up there. And oh yeah, I married to Chrissy Hind for a little bit. Worked on the you know that first. It's a crazy story. Record. Yeah, uh, the the relationship with the brother. I mean, that's <sighs> I don't think that's just for, you know, they were like an oasis type thing. Like they just don't seem to be able to no. get along. I mean, you know, like my brother and I fought like brothers will fight you know um and then it stopped at a certain age you know you kind of outgrow it i mean when you see grown men yeah still beating the shit out of each other like it's a crazy story yeah. and and you just don't for whatever reason you don't hear a lot about it but hey you've heard it here and uh <laughs> all right well uh we could talk about the kinks for hours uh but i noticed now we have ba- to go we're ballooning out into taking like whole uh portions of artists careers i've started it you started a maximalist it, yeah. american trend here where i'll just supersize it you can uh you can find out more uh of course uh, about what we were discussing references links all kinds of stuff at brainfuzzpodcast.com and uh, we've got a lot of exciting things coming up of course with our global team and also uh conversations at least one in the can already and uh we got more on the way Got some in legal embargo. We have one, at least one in embargo, and it should, it'll it'll be a great. Uh, we've got some good stuff coming up. So, uh, rumor is that all future 
subsequent brain fuzz releases are going to be on cassette. Is that true? Uh, and disseminated that way? There's some discussion. There's some discussion about um, cassette and um, also uh, cassette box sets, too. <laughs> Connect with Joe and Matthew. Take a look at show notes and discover other episodes at brainfuzzpodcast.com. Engage and join the dialogue on social media with hashtag BrainFuzzPodcast and on their organically growing Instagram, BrainFuzzPodcast. Don't miss the next episode. Subscribe to BrainFuzzPodcast on your favourite podcast platform, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify and Stitcher.